says you wait for the crown Tell the world on the treasure you found Bow your heads and pray with me, please. To Heavenly Father, I just pray that today as we've come into this building that um, we would just lay down all troubles, all stresses, all, all worries upon you on your feet, God, just that we can come in here and just worship you, focus on you, set our hearts on you, God. Just pray that you make your presence known and just be with us this morning. In your son's name, amen. All right. Amen, amen. All right, kids, go on back, and everybody can go ahead and have a seat. Well, hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Limerth Road Church. We're so glad that you've joined us here this morning. I also want to say hello and good morning to those of you who are watching online. Um, as a reminder, for those of you online, you can follow along uh, with today's service with the Bible app. Um, but for those of you who are in person this morning, you can once again, after a very long hiatus, follow along in the church bulletin, which uh, you could have picked up or should have received when you came in this morning. Um, now, for those of you who are new or who are visiting with us, uh, again, welcome. Thank you for being here. Um, but if you could reach in front of you and grab in the chair in front of you what we call a Connect card and begin to fill it out with just some basic information. Um, as well, on your way out, stop by our welcome desk and we have a, a gift bag we'd like to give you as a way of saying thank you for joining us here today. Um, and then for everyone, uh, don't forget, if you have any prayer requests or if you want to respond to the announcement, in any way or sign up for a ministry or more information uh, you can also do that on that connect card and then those can either go out to the welcome desk after the service or you can put it in one of the offering boxes out in the lobby all right well we do have a few announcements here this morning um, the first is is uh, a couple months ago uh, Angie Leposky organized a girls elementary fun night and now it's the boys turn and so on June 17th uh, we're going to have a boys' ministry night, and uh, fathers and sons are invited to come together. It'll be from 6 to 8 here at the church. Um, we're going to do an indoor Nerf war, uh, which I picked up some, some new uh, bullets the other day, and I'm very excited about, uh, you know, going after my two boys later on. Uh, capture the flag, we'll have pizza, and then at the end, we're going to uh, have a Bible study uh, time to conclude our evening. And so um, if you want more information about that, uh, Taylor Leposky is organizing it. His email is in that bulletin and you can respond to him or you can just write uh, boys ministry night on the connect card and we'll get in touch with you. Um, next, uh, in the same vein, um, Angie Leposky is gonna be helping start a girls Bible study for uh, fourth and fifth grade girls, elementary age girls. Um, it actually starts this Tuesday night, June 7th. And so uh, if your daughter is interested in that, or if you're interested in helping helping uh, organize and run that, um, please reach out to Angie uh, Leposky. Her email is in that bulletin, um, or you can uh, just contact Lisa here at the office. 
All right, well, that's it for announcements. Um, at this time, I want to call up uh, Caleb Miller and any of the pastors that are here, if you could join me on stage as well. And um, we're going to just have a little commissioning uh, ceremony here where we're going to commission Caleb and, and pray for him and dedicate him to the Lord. Uh, but before we do that, we thought it'd be helpful uh, just to give you a chance to get to know him a little better. And so we're just going to ask him a couple questions here and give him a chance to talk a little bit about himself, which is always fun and awkward, right? So, all right, Caleb, in light of that, won't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah. So, hi, my name's Caleb Miller. I'm 21. I'm pretty young. I know. It's, it's, it's <laughs> um, so I grew up in Columbus my whole life. I have four older brothers. And so we were part of the Great Commission churches for a very long time um, in a church plant from here called Darby Creek. Um, so grew up in the church, always been serving, I've probably been serving in music ministry since I could play, which was about 10 years old. So been serving for a long time, very musical family, very, um, very worship-filled house. So, yeah. Awesome. All right, well, one last question here, and that is this. How, how do you think God has prepared you for this role? And what are you most excited about as you begin? Yeah, so I think that, um, I mean, so serving since I was a young kid and just um, having that experience growing up in the church, knowing how you know church organizations work and being kind of familiar with ministry in that sense. And then also more recently, um, building up my leadership skills through different ministries that I helped start or helped um, maintain. So building up shepherding skills and things like that to help build and lead a team, and I think is a big thing that's been a big part of developing me into this role. Um, and then I'm most excited about just, you know, building up a new team and, and meeting with the people who've been on the team for a very long time and just um, bringing new life into it and just, um, leading you guys all in worship. So, yeah. That's great. All right. Well, as I was thinking about this time and, and praying about this time, I felt like the Lord brought me to a verse I wanted to, to share with you. And it's Exodus 15 too. And the context is, is it's a song of Moses that he uh, wrote right after they crossed the Red Sea. And uh, again, here's, here's what it says. It says, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. And so that's uh, what we're commissioning you to do to help lead us to praise and to worship and to sing to our Savior. And uh, we're so excited to have you. And so let's pray for Caleb now. Will you just join us as we lay hands on him and, and commit him to the Lord? Father, we thank you for Caleb and uh, God, just that you in your sovereignty brought him here to our church. And Lord, we commit him to you now. Father, we pray you would fill him with your Holy Spirit. God, that he would just be full of praise, that he would, be, he would live a life of worship. And God, that that would overflow here on Sunday mornings and that we would be able to join along with him, Lord, as one body declaring your goodness. Even as we sang this morning, you are a good God. And we're so thankful uh, we're so thankful that we get to know you and to be in relationship with you, Lord. And so we commit him to you now. Pray you give him grace here as he begins a new role, a new, uh, a new path here. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Hey guys. Good morning. I have too much stuff up here. We've got another table. Well, good morning, Linworth, and good morning to those of you that um, are watching online with us. Glad that you could make it. And um, so we're gonna we're starting and we're kicking off a new series. So let me let me start this by asking this question: Do you ever wish you could have a conversation with Jesus? You know, in the physical sense, you know right across from you, just talking to him, not in a sense of being quiet before the Lord or, or talking to him in prayer. But what would you talk about? What would you ask him? Well, this morning, we're going to begin a new series called Conversations with Jesus. And it's a, I want to make sure about this, I think it's a six-part series, correct? Or five? We'll see. We'll see. This, it's a... It's a we will see the amount of number series where, I'm going to go with six, where we bring alive these different conversations Jesus had with various uh, real people a few thousand years ago. And yet these conversations have relevance for us today for a couple of reasons. First off, because it's God's word. We're digging into God's word. We're hearing from him. And second, God's word is timeless, and thus it is relevant for us today. And these conversations with Jesus, they're going to be helpful in our understanding of who he is and how he reveals the Father. They're going to give us a glimpse into who he is personally, his heart, his teachings, his mission, his purpose, and his passion. So now in the four gospel, there are about 40 conversations or meetings that Jesus has with various individuals. And so they were brought together in different ways. They were initiated in different ways. Nine times Jesus began the conversation 25 different times it was the other party who started the conversation, uh, such as the rich young uh, ruler, um, Jarius, the hemorrhaging woman. And there were other conversations that were initiated by third parties. And the conversations, where did they happen? Well, they happened in various settings. Some occurred in workplaces, some of them happened in homes. But interestingly enough, uh, very few of them happened in religious settings. And Jesus talked with people about spiritual issues wherever they were. He didn't need a special place or a special environment uh, in order to have a conversation with them. And Jesus asked questions. In more than half of these encounters, he's the one that asked the question. And he was present with them. He was engaged with them. He connected with people's thoughts and his feelings, yet he spoke truth and love to them sometimes, and sometimes they were hard truths that he had to speak to them about, but he did it without condemnation. And so the bottom line, you know, to me here is that, and something for us to take away from this is that Jesus engaged in conversations, okay? And so this is a little encouragement, be like Jesus. Uh, let's be those believers that uh, are not afraid to engage in conversations with people that help them see the Father. So now our first conversation in our series is between a guy named Nicodemus and Jesus, and it's found in John chapter 3, 1 through 19, and it happens at night. Now we're going to work with our imaginations a little bit this morning here. Can you imagine, once again, just sitting down? Um, you know, as you read the Gospels, you really do get a sense that um, he's just so approachable. He's not somebody that you would, would fear. 
And so place yourself there at that time, that time period. I've told you oftentimes when I'm reading the word, I try to put myself in the context of who uh, the Bible was being written to, who was talking, what was happening in that place. So I want you to place yourself there at that time period. And um, what would it feel like? What would it smell like? What would it look like? So I want you to imagine it was at night and um, there's no lights. So you have uh, to light some candles or some candles, if this works. Enough light to read my notes, right? But so place yourself there. And so the only way that you had light was uh, from candles. Maybe there was a, a full moon or something. And if you were talking with him, you can imagine maybe perhaps um, it's on a rooftop. It's at night where it was cool on the rooftops. And at that time, a lot of the buildings were such that there were these flat roofs. And, and there were stairs on the outside of the building. And you would walk, uh, walk up to get to your roof. And so let's imagine a little bit of what that would sound like and look like. And we're going to listen in on what it could have looked and sounded like over 2,000 years ago. I have so many questions. Shall we sit first? Oh, yes, of course. slums. Hmm. Many wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Hmm. But I have never heard anyone tell the paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe you are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit 
is spirit. That part of you, that is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? So, so as I've said, as you've seen here, our first conversation is going to be with Nicodemus and Jesus. And you can imagine perhaps a little bit that maybe that's what it would have felt like and what it would have looked like. And uh, as you begin to uh, imagine what the personality perhaps of what Nicodemus uh, himself would be like. But it's in John chapter 3, and it's one of the most iconic conversations in all of the Bible, and it includes the most quoted passage in the Bible, of course, John 3.16, and also one of the most mysterious. Um, by the way, that clip was um, from The Chosen, and uh, we're going to uh, perhaps uh, revisit it a little bit uh, with a little bit more of it a little bit later. Um, and before we get too far along, we're going to camp in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. And so you can go ahead and open your Bibles, open your uh, um, your uh, phone there, and uh, it's in our Pew Bibles. It's on page 887. And the way we're going to break this down this morning is by looking at the three questions that Nicodemus asked and then the three answers that Jesus gave him. So before we get too far along, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, these um, verses are so familiar to so many people. Lord, I pray that um, we're able to see them with fresh eyes and fresh hearts. And Lord, also, I would just pray for those that are here um, this morning. It's maybe the first time that they've heard these verses and heard uh, what Jesus is saying. And Lord, I pray that um, they are able to hear you, uh, that you would draw your, uh, them to you, and that because of that, their lives would be changed. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's enter, enter into these conversations. we got three questions. we got three different answers here. Verse 1 is this. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So, let's meet Nicodemus. What do we know about Nick? Can I call him Nick? Is that okay if I call him Nick? What do we know about Nick? Well... I understand he's about five foot ten, dark hair, pastor at some place called Lingworth Road Church. He's just about 6,500 miles west of Jerusalem. So, not him, not you. Did you say five ten? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I thought you, I thought you, I thought you'd like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay, wrong guy, obviously. But um, you know, we meet Nicodemus three, Nicodemus three times in um, the Gospel of John. First time is right here in the beginning where we learned that he's a Pharisee and he's a member of the Jewish ruling council of the Sanhedrin. The second time is in uh, John chapter 7. It takes place uh, during a meeting of the Sanhedrin and uh, the temple guards were being uh, beat up for not taking Jesus captive and the guards are defending themselves and are just saying, hey, no one ever spoke like this guy. I mean, what are we supposed to do? Um, and the Pharisee said, do you see any of us believing in him, basically? And then Nicodemus uh, the one who had been with him at night spoke up and he says, does our law condemn a man uh, without first hearing what he has to say? And so this begins to give us a little bit of an insight to Nicodemus and what he is beginning to think about who 
Jesus is. And then the third time we meet him in uh, chapter 19, verses 38 through 42. And this was after Jesus was crucified. Verse 39, uh, Nicodemus also, it says, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds worth. And that, those, that amount of spices cost a lot of money. So this is how we know that he was rich. Um, and so we can see that this conversation that Nicodemus had with Jesus at night in the beginning here uh, was very important conversation to Nicodemus as we get to the end of John and we began to see where his heart has gone. So the scriptures tell us first that he was a Pharisee, a Pharisee. So he's a very devout follower of Judaism. Um, what else, do, what do we know about Pharisees? Well, we've talked a lot about them here off and on through the years, but they, uh, they took a life vow to live the Ten Commandments. There was never more than 6,000 of them. They were known as the Chabura or the Brotherhood. Uh, they entered into this brotherhood by taking a pledge in front of three witnesses that they would spend all of their lives observing uh, the details of the scribal law. They dressed mostly uh, in black, and they tried to live their lives according to the 613 laws of the Old Testament. And not only did they try to keep every rule, but they often made up others along the way to figure out how to do that. So... Uh, secondly, he was a member of the Jewish ruling council, as we said, the Sanhedrin. And that was the name that was given to, there were 70 of these guys. They were like the religious governing council. They even though uh, got into some political things too, we won't get into that there. But they ruled over Israel. And then he was, um, as a Pharisee, he would have been a highly uh, regarded teacher. Jesus referred to him in verse 10 to Nicodemus as, quote, the teacher of Israel, much like the Ohio State, right? <laughs> I think it's been a long time since I made an Ohio State reference there, so <clears throat> it'll be another three months before we get there. All right. And lastly, he, was, he had a lot of money. He was wealthy, okay, as we saw. So he is wealthy, popular, powerful, respected religious leader. Um, and so let's begin to look at the, the questions that were here. So our first question Verse 2, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So the first thing that we notice, it's interesting that he came by night. And uh, commentators, they have different ideas, uh, you know, why. Uh, my best understanding is, is a, a couple of things here. Um, I think it's because of his standing, who he was, how important he was. And I think he was a little bit concerned about being seen with Jesus. And so there was some risk involved, and therefore maybe he set this meeting up at night uh, to be with Jesus by himself. Uh, secondly, during the, during the day, there was always crowds around Jesus. And so it would have been difficult to have this extended conversation uh, with them, this personal conversation with them. And I, I believe this in a sense that I, as we walk through this, I believe that Nicodemus was sincere in wanting to ask Jesus some very important questions. And he wasn't like some of the conversations that we come across where he, he wasn't trying to trick him. He wasn't trying to corner him. And uh, the best way that this could be done is if he could get Jesus alone and if he could have some extended time with him one-on-one -on -one and ask him some questions. 
I also believe about Nicodemus, as, as, as we come to find out, that, that God was already working on his heart. And as the conversation continues, you get this sense, that, once again, that he was very sincere, such that he was willing to take this risk to meet with Jesus by himself. And it's much like God does with us uh, when we begin to ask, who, who is Jesus? He begins to draw us. And we've had, I don't know if you remember, but I had all kinds of questions for Jesus. And... Um, I just remember laying in my bed at night and just wrestling with Jesus and um, asking him, just, are, you, are you really who you say you are? Did this really happen? Did you really, were you real? Did you die on a cross? Were you raised from the dead? And, you know, working through all those questions. And so um, it's the Holy Spirit who's drawing Nicodemus as he draws us to him. And so Nicodemus Here's a guy who had everything that most people wanted. As we said, money, respects, he was smart. But in spite of everything that he had here, he seemed to sense that there was something missing in his life. And so he came to have a little talk with Jesus to find out what that was. So back to, uh, to the verse, uh, verse 2. He came to Jesus the night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Now, you might not notice this as a question, right? So we're not, this is a question. But in verse 3, it says, and Jesus answered him, okay? And so Jesus has a way of answering questions that you and I should be asking. And so he, Jesus knew that there was something that Nicodemus, through this, uh, um, what he had said, was asking a question. The premise is that Nicodemus would have heard Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God. He would have seen him perform miracles or, or at least heard about them. Uh, he heard or watched him in the temple, uh, clear, you know, clearing the temple, perhaps, or hearing about it using a whip. And this all happened back in chapter 2. I got a feeling like these are going to, you guys, you nervous for me? I think this is going to go boom. Yeah, okay. Let me take that nervousness away from you and myself, okay? All right. So let's look at the first answer then Jesus has. Verse 3, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So I know for many of you, we're walking in really familiar territory here, right? But this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus brings us to the core of where we learn what it, what it is that needs to happen in order for us to have eternal life, to become a Christian, to see the kingdom of God. Jesus comes straight to the point about why being born again is so urgent and so necessary. And he says in verse 3 that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He goes right after it. And to see the kingdom is Jesus' way of referring to the entrance into the kingdom or experiencing the blessings of the kingdom. In other words, eternal life. Jesus was saying that if you aren't born again, simply being born from above, you're not going to understand the truths concerning the kingdom. And you won't be granted entrance into it. Those not born again are excluded from the kingdom of God. And so the second question, is, it takes Nicodemus to the second question. And you're just wondering what is going on in his mind. And he answers, uh, asks the question, or answers the question anyone would have, what do you mean 
born again. So here it is, verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And in the New Living Translation, it says, What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And so Nicodemus, he's, he's confused. Uh, or at least at this point, he's looking at it from a physical standpoint, logical. He's like, wait, born again? How does that work here? And so, um, you know, he's saying, wait, what you're saying is the only way that I can have eternal life is to enter the kingdom of God and enter the kingdom of God is if I somehow magically, physically am reborn. And uh, now we're, I'm paraphrasing here. We're kind of playing with this a little bit here with Nicodemus. But I don't want you to miss the point that Nicodemus is sincere in trying to figure this out. And Nicodemus wasn't being silly when he was asking these questions. It was just confusing to him. So that here's the second answer. The second answer, verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sounds. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Once again, I think the New Living Translation helps us out here. I'm going to go ahead and read it in that. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. In other words, born from above, born again. And so in Jesus' answer to Nicodemus here, um, his question, he's trying to expand his understanding by telling him that he must be born of water and Spirit. And by using these words, he's going to be able to help Nicodemus understand what he is talking about. That it's not just this physical act, but something that's much deeper, something that's more mysterious and spiritual, and that it comes from God. And so when Jesus says being born of water and spirit, there's different thoughts on what this may mean, and what the water part means here, and uh, invoking things like water baptism, and talking about John the Baptist. Um, or it could be a reference to Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 through 27, and this where, um, which is where Nicodemus might have connected to where God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. See, but I think the answer is in a way is in the way that verse 5 is constructed, the way that it's put together. And then we bring verses 5 and 6 together, which play off each other, and it completes the thought. So first in verse 5, notice he says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He says water and Spirit, two different things. And then look at the very next verse. Verse 6 says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, the New Living Translation again says, um, 
I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. In other words, uh, verse 6, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. I think Jesus is talking about physical birth when he's talking about the water. Uh, just think about it. When a, born, a person is born physically, a person is born of water, right? We know why. Because something breaks, right? What happens, right? A woman's ready to get into labor. What do we call that? Her water broke, right? And then the amniotic fluid of the womb bursts open, and that water drains out, and the baby's coming. And you, at that point, you can't stop it. And they, of course, at that time, would have understood just like we under, would understand. So Nicodemus um, uh, is talking about a physical birth uh, and a rebirth, his first understanding is that it was a physical birth, and so Jesus is moving him along here. So it makes sense to me that it could mean this. Unless you were born of the water, physically, which leads to physical life, so too you must be born spiritually, which leads to spiritual life. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, which is born of the spirit is spirit. And here's this. You must be born of the water and the spirit. You have to be born the first time to be reborn, reborn the first time. Let me say that again. You have to be born the first time physically to be reborn the first time spiritually. And so the, the ultimate bottom line here is that unless one is born from above through the cleansing work of the Spirit of God within, he or she cannot enter the kingdom of God. So let's go ahead and pick this up in verse 7 um, as part of Jesus' uh, second answer. Uh, Jesus says, Nicodemus... Do not marvel that I said to you that you must be born again. Or he says in, uh, in the New Living Translation, so don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. And so then he gives an illustration for him to help him understand this. Uh, something that seems mysterious, but it's understandable once it's described. Uh, much like the mystery of being born again. So in verse 8 he says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So in, in other words, being born again is a mysterious event just like the wind blowing. It's a mystery. You can't explain it, but it doesn't make it any less real. It's real and it's true. Nobody can see the Holy Spirit, only the effects of his work in a person's life. Okay, now remember here, Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus come to grips and to understand this monumental shift in his thinking on how one gets to see the kingdom of God, how one gets eternal life. And you've got to admit, his mind must have been swimming in so many different directions. Because if he believes this, if he believes Jesus and what Jesus How are these things possible? You can hear it in his voice. His mind and his heart, uh, they must be blown. And I think he knows that it's good. I think he knows that it's right. And he, he said, how, how can I be born from above? How can I be born again? How can I be born of God and not just my mother? Will I, will I see the kingdom of God? Have I been wrong my entire life?
you were born again. And for some of you here, you know, those may be new words to you. Maybe you've gone to churches a few different times and, and, you're, and you're, you're here and you say, what do you mean I must be born again in order to enter heaven? Well, I hope by the end of this message you'll understand what that means. So for Nicodemus, um, you can imagine that he had a little trouble trying to begin to think differently. And so Jesus had to keep explaining to him. And so he gives us a third answer. And before we get there, I want you to make sure that you just keep hanging in with Nicodemus here. He's working on understanding how, how, you know, how does he do this? How does he do this? And that might have been a little bit like us, once again, before we become believers, uh, before we became a Christian. Uh, and maybe that's you this morning. You're not a follower of Jesus, but you're trying to understand what it means to be a Christian. So verse 10, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not um, understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And so Jesus' answer here, this third answer, involves uh, four different uh, things. First, it gets a little ribbing from Jesus, all right? Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Um, I think Jesus was, in a sense, a little puzzled that, that Nicodemus could not or would not connect the dots of what he was saying. Secondly, Maybe Jesus was a little exasperated with him um, because Jesus really wants him and us to see this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. It's like you don't believe us. There's two or three witnesses. Plenty of people have seen these things. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? See, Nicodemus was still holding back here on believing Jesus. He had been eyewitness. He knew other eyewitnesses and, um, and to, uh, of the testimonies that were given. There were multiple witnesses, but yet he did not receive that yet. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, I'm giving you all the evidence to believe earthly things, the miracles even, and yet you don't believe. How are you going to believe this heavenly things that... I'm telling you. And then Jesus slips in the statement on verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. It's me, Nicodemus. It's me, Nicodemus. Except Jesus is saying to him, oh, Nicodemus, if you could only see, if you could only understand. The third thing was an example um, or an illustration to help Nicodemus make the connection again of the question, how can this be? And it brings life in a new way to Nicodemus. Verse 14 says this, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have 
eternal life. And can you see Jesus moving Nicodemus to the full truth of the gospel? Here we see Jesus begin to help Nicodemus see who the Messiah is. He makes this amazing statement explaining that the serpent of Numbers uh, 21, chapter 21, verses 4 through 9, was a picture of the Messiah and his work. Now, we sit here today, all right, um, and, and I, I can imagine, you know, if we were there in the room, if we were flying a wall, you know, we're going, Nicodemus, it's him. <laughs> he's talking to you. He's right in, in, in front of you. He's, he's the Messiah. Just wait, Nicodemus. You're going, you're going to understand. You're going to understand. And you're going to have to make a decision once you do. So if you know the story in Numbers uh, 21, or if you don't, obviously Nicodemus would. Quickly, this is what it looks like. The Israelites had experienced God's deliverance from slavery in, in, um, in Egypt, okay? So there's plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, there's the pillar of, of a cloud, the pillar of fire that lead them. And what happened? They just weren't satisfied. So they began to grumble, they began to complain. They're beginning impatient. Um, they begin to doubt God, and they begin to, it says in the scriptures, they begin to speak against God and Moses, to complain, their hearts started worn, uh, wandering after other gods, and um, there's just a ton of symbolism in, in, the, in those verses there, which we don't have time to get into, but um, in J.D. Greer's explanation of this passage, he says this, this is really a picture of sin. We doubt God, disbelieve him, grow dissatisfied with his ways, and our hearts wander from him and begin to serve other gods, our passions. God, I'm not satisfied with you. I, I need something else. I, I mean, I need, I need romance. I need money. I need comfort. I need all these other things that you don't seem to be giving to me. And so they're disgruntled, and this is happening. So God sends fiery serpents into the camp. He calls them in the, in the scriptures vipers of death. And they're everywhere. There's thousands of them. And many of the people died, uh, and they began to wail. They began to be in pain, and they're crying out to God. And so that is a picture there of, course, of the curse of sin, the pain. And it's, it's a picture of the brokenness of life. So God, in his mercy, tells Moses to make a bronze image of one of the serpents. He puts it high up on a pole, and he tells the people that if they can get their eyes on that and look at it in faith, they will be healed. Now, here's the cool thing. We can look back, right? The Israelites, Israelites' experience in the desert was a foreshadowing, was a looking forward to what Jesus did for all people, all mankind, when he was lifted up on the cross, and he bore our pain. And Jesus was telling his one-man audience this life-changing truth. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So what I wanted to do to continue this, uh, making this come alive 
for you and to understand perhaps a little bit. I wanted to um, show the rest of that video. And um, we're going to hear this dialogue happen here. Now, this is, once again, this is from uh, The Chosen, and um, it's a drama. It's not word for word. It's a drama. And, uh, but it is true, especially this, uh, true to the word, uh, specifically in this section, this part, this 10 minutes of The Chosen. So um, we're going to go ahead uh, and watch that, and, um, and we'll worship and take communion. teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things, huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, you can recognize His effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes. And I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that, do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents and they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin, from spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. He gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? Shh. When I met 
Lilith, Mary, that day. I told my wife and my students, I said, she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her healed. go ahead and stand up and we're going to join together in worship.
time you can be seated we're gonna take communion so if you didn't get, grab a communion cup on your way in there in the back and through those doors um, 
But so we take communion twice a month here at Linworth. And so we do and we follow what it says here in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, which says this. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we do, that, we do this act as a reminder of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, of his ultimate sacrifice of grace and love towards us. And so take it whenever you're ready. We're gonna take this next song to reflect and pray. And when you're ready, just join us as we sing about his worship, or as we worship about his love, his grace for us. And um, just pray that if you don't know, if you haven't accepted Christ as your savior, if you haven't done that, if you have questions like Nicodemus, come find me, come find anybody on staff or anybody, any of the pastors, we'll be happy to talk to you. So as we go through this next song, just take some time to reflect and just to worship and pray and sing about his love. like a hurricane I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy oh in all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are how great your love And oh, how He loves us so.
sing it one more time. He loves. Oh, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves. All right. I'm going to sing one last song. So if you're not standing, please do. And we're going to just join together and worship with us.
confession to make, guys. My notes were upside down, not quite, but they weren't on the right pages. I don't, I don't know if you felt like the end of that message was like, what? where's he going with that? <laughs> I sat down and I said, oh, what happened? Where are you going with that? I, it's the first time in 25 years I've ever, I just missed the conclusion uh, to the message. So I, I don't, um, I'm just give you a couple words on it. I can't bring it together the way it doesn't quite, but, um, you know, Jesus was working uh, Nicodemus towards the most famous verse in the Bible, right? John 3, 16. That, that it was the verse that was just going to bring everything together. Uh, and, you know, Nicodemus was the first person here, John 3, 16. He probably made the first sign, too, but he was the first person to hear it is for God's so loved the world, right, that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. And so, you know, Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, you know, that's being born again to believe in the one and for Nicodemus, right, he was going to witness. He hadn't witnessed it yet, right? He wouldn't know. But to believe and the one who was lifted up, died for your sins, died for our sins, was buried, rose again, conquering death, that whoever believed in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And if that happens, he or she is born again. And Jesus was saying, believe in me, Nicodemus. Follow me, Nicodemus. So, Jesus asked the same questions of us, right? If you are not a Christ follower. Jesus is asking you the same question. Believe in me. Have faith in me. Follow. Will you come? Will you believe in me? And so if that's you today and you haven't done that, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Any of the pastors here, there'll be a few people here to pray with you. And, um, you know, maybe you're not ready to commit your life to Christ and you have some more questions. But I'd love to chat with you. But this whole 
discussion and chapter was all about the gospel and how to be born again, to become a follower of Jesus, to have eternal life. Uh, we're all going to have eternal life, but to have eternal life with him in heaven forever. So, um, amen? And I apologize once again, but uh, hey, you got to do it once, right? So anyways, uh, let's go ahead and lift your hands for a blessing. Um, it's number 624, um, same one I like to use every single time. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, have a great day in the Lord, guys.